Hi, this is LGBTQ&A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Bambi Salcedo. Bambi is a legendary activist in our community and currently leads the Translatino Coalition. Stay tuned. Hey, Bambi. Hey, Jeffrey, Hi. how are you? Good. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for inviting me and oh. for the opportunity to address the audience. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited to talk to you. You know, when I first saw you, you had long shoulder length hair. <laughs> yes, I did a couple of years ago. Oh, it's been that long. Uh, it's going to be two years in June of next year. So it's a year and a half ago since I decided to chop off my hair. Yeah, like all of it. I, I love it. It looks amazing. Yeah. Oh, what made you decide to cut it? Um, it was really, uh, well, I actually did it during a speech at, in Seattle at Trans Pride. Um, so there was about 5,000 people there. Um, and wow. Yeah, I did it, you know, publicly. And really, it was part of my message. Uh, and my message was that it, it, like, nobody can dictate what we can do with our bodies but ourselves. And I offer my beautiful hair as a sign that I could do whatever I wanted with my body. Wow. And that's, like, to the general population? Is that, like, like just, like, beauty standards and, like, gender norms and everything? Well, even within the trans, within the, the trans community, I mean, I was, like, you know, I got a lot of compliments, but also, like, people were shocked. Because, you know, for many of us, that's part of our femininity, mm-hmm. right? And so for me to, like, go... F- from one stream to the next stream or to the other side, it's it was, like, you know, pretty radical, per se. Yeah. That's a big, too, like, a message saying, like, physical obviously matters to a lot of people, but, like, it's what's inside. Like, your hair will not affect your gender either way. Exactly. And that was totally the message. That was totally, um, you know, and, and it was also liberating, you know, because it's it's, like, you're basically not conforming, right, yeah. to what society tells you that you are supposed to be, but you're simply being yourself. On a practical level, is it easier to deal with now, your hair? <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, even when I had, like, long hair, I usually used to have it, like, on a bun. It was just easier for me to just grab my whole hair and just put it in a bun. Uh, but now it's like, just, you know, get up and go, you know, like, <laughs> you don't really have to do much. That's very nice. <laughs> yes. So tell me, you've been an activist for a while. I'm wondering if you can talk about how being an activist has changed over the last couple of years. I imagine that as little as five years ago, you were still having to explain to people what transgender meant. Um, You know, it, it, I think the movement, you know, from the beginning, it has been definitely a constant struggle, right? Like we have sort of like um, right now we are in a pivotal moment, you know, to where we as a community are being recognized to some degree, um, particularly in, in media, right? Like, in, um, in, but the reality is that, you know, we as trans people continue to face extreme social um, issues, right? Um, you know, like trans people are not able to obtain jobs, you know, like just basic needs, you know, housing, for instance, Um you know, education, like all of those things, right? Like things that are that we already know um, are still there, 
you know, and so the struggle is real, and you know we are constantly, you know, in this uphill battle. And the struggle too that gets me is that, like, trans women are being like murdered on the streets, but they're also being they're taking their own lives. Like the suicide rates are staggering. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I mean, through the work that we do, um, I mean, just you know, just yesterday I had someone that I was talking to who is homeless um, and who, you know, she's so smart. She's 23. She's done, like, public relations work. um, And, um, you know, so she's, like, her intelligence is, like, superb. Yet, because she decided to transition, she's not able to have a job. And therefore, she's homeless now. And because of that, she has to use drugs in order to stay away so that she doesn't have to sleep on the streets. And then when she has slept on the streets, she has been robbed, like people have taken her stuff. So this is like uh, issues that, you know, are like right there. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, this year we have had 23, you know, cases that have been documented, right, that of trans women who have been murdered. Um, but then, you know, there are possibly more that are not documented. And so, but this is the constant struggle that we have to face. Right. Now, is that what kind of part of what led you to create the Trans Latino Coalition? Um, that's definitely one of the issues. Um, the Trans Latino Coalition started in 2009 as, you know, for us to really address the needs and issues of trans Latina immigrant individuals who live in this country. So we are a national organization, um, but last year in 2015, um, everybody came together and we decided that in order for us to empower and uplift the experiences and lives of trans people, that we needed to do direct service provision. And so right now, uh, we're building the Center for Violence Prevention and Transgender Wellness, and we're addressing both the uh, advocacy, which leads into changing the structures that continue to oppress us, but also the direct community empowerment and leadership development that we need to have in order to develop the next, you know, uh, where the next wave of leaders. Wow. And so that's been around since 2009? We started in 2009, um, and we have representation in 11 different states. So we have seven organized chapters. That's huge. Yeah. And is it um, Latin immigrants specifically? Well, no. Last year, when we... Um, when we met, we changed, we took off immigrants and we're focusing for the next five years, focusing specifically on trans Latinos around the, the country. But our vision is for us to be an organization that uh, provides resources and empowers the trans community as a whole. Yeah. Um, I, I read the five-year plan. It's on the website. Yes. I didn't realize what a big scope it is from legislation all the way down to just individual lives of like HIV care and helping people get jobs. It's uh, it's very ambitious and necessary. Yes. And, and you know, I, uh, as an individual, you know, that's one of the things that I have taken on personally, right? But also, um, as an organization, you know, this is something that we have taken on and that we are actually doing uh, since we started in January of this year, uh, providing direct services. Um, we have, you know, um, grown. Uh, we are, we have three staff right now. Um, we just got uh, noticed that we got another grant and we're going to have another staff 
we're focusing on economic development um, and you know we're focusing on providing emergency supportive services to people um, we have a program that is an HIV prevention strategy um, that is funded through the Elton John Foundation and we provide trans people who are getting released from immigration detention centers and incarceration emergency supportive, emergency supportive services um, we give them um, rental assistance, we give them food vouchers, and we give them transportation vouchers, and we have a case manager that connects them with other existing services. Wow. So how do people know that you, you exist? Like, are you seeking them out, or do they find you? Um, they're finding us. I mean, you know, again, the, our, our first program was providing emergency supportive services to trans people who are getting released from incarceration or immigration detention centers. And, you know, the, we're, we're a small community. Word gets around, like, pretty quick. Um, and so far, we have in our caseload 27 individuals that we have served so far since January to today. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we have found and that we continue to see is, like, Okay, um, we are supporting people, like providing emergency supportive services, but we want to connect them with jobs. And for trans people who are getting released from immigration detention centers, some of them, because of the advocacy that we have done also to get them released, they're sort of like in limbo. So they don't have, you know, they don't have papers to work. They don't have a social security number. They don't have, you know, a way to get an ID. Um, So it's getting difficult to place them into workforce development. Um, so that's one of the issues that we're seeing. Um, we're also seeing that, you know, when we have to place them like in emergency shelters, you know, we're not finding sensitive places to where we can place them. Um, unfortunately, there's not a place, you know, for us to go to. Um, there is the LGBT Center, and they have a program there, uh, but it's specifically for youth ages you know up to 24 years old and so and even though there's that there's also a high demand for that and so for people who who are of trans experience who are above 24 years old there's nowhere for us to go um so you know so there's so you mentioned before um someone who's a homeless was that a friend or someone you're working with um, people that i mean i actually it- have couple of friends who are struggling and we're yeah. trying to place with community housing so th- there, there's not a like a trans ex- um, exclusive or like LGBTQ exclusive like homeless shelter no, other than, with the exception of the LGBT center um, there's none for over 18 wow I didn't know that mm-hmm. but yeah. we are on the task of building that really yes we are going to make it happen and one of the things that you know is happening I mean I know that a lot happens and I I get involved in a lot of stuff yeah um, but one of the things that are happening is that right now we're actually um, advocating for the decriminalization of trans people who are doing sex work um, because one of the things that happened recently is that LAPD has set up to do um, like raids to arrest trans people who are doing sex work and you know they reach out to community organizations to go and do outreach to those people that have arrest and but then yet there's no services to connect them to so it it's it's the it's a larger issue that we're definitely addressing um 
In fact, we have sent a letter to the mayor. Um, we have sent a letter to um, Mitchell Ferro, who is the council member for that district. Um, and we also, um, uh, the letter was also sent to the police commission and several organizations that we are organizing to address that. And one of our demands is for the city to intentionally invest into the livelihood of trans people. Wow. How how far out do you think that would be to like build a uh, shelter? Like five uh, years or like n- more? More? N- so many, uh. No, I mean, this is an emergency thing. You know, I think we need to call it what it is. It is. A, yeah. We as a community are in a state of emergency and we need for our elected officials that instead of criminalizing us and putting us in jail, that they actually need to invest in the livelihood of trans people. We need to be able to obtain the basic needs, right? Like we need housing, we need jobs, we need, um, you know, we need to be able to go to school, we need to be able to learn things if we don't have the skills. And so I think those things need to be addressed immediately. Um, We're talking about uh, like obviously a lot of struggles um when you're <laughs> i don't want to like generalize but the, it's when we're talking about like homelessness and job security how do you present the future in a realistic way to people you're working with without just making it seem dismal like how do you, like you know well i mean i, like, think- I, I don't want to phrase that in like an offensive way but like it, you need to be realistic but how do you still like find hope there when we're dealing with such basic needs that need to be met you know, a lot of times uh, what I often use, you know, uh, in the community, it's my own personal experience, right? Um, I am one who has uh, overcome all of those things. You know, when I first got to Los Angeles, to Hollywood, I was 19 years old. And I was homeless and I was a sex worker. I was using drugs. I had been part of the a prison industrial complex. You know, I have, like, whatever you can think of, I've lived it. And survived it, right? Um, and so, I, I put myself as hope, you know, to the community, and I let them know that yes, we are in this moment right now, but you know, if we work together, if we stick together, and we if we do what we need to do, we can get to the other side. Um, and I know that my experience is not the experience of everybody, but my experience is similar to many people, right? And so that's how. You know, and I, we do whatever we have to do, and we have been doing it for, you know, for many years. The only difference now is that we're actually organizing to demand resources to be allocated and for our, our lives to be validated. Absolutely. You got to America at 19, you said? No. no I got to the United States when I was 17. 17. But I got to Los Angeles when I was 19. Oh, I see. When did you become an activist? Um, it's been like, I guess you could say my career has been sort of like short again. Um, my previous life was, um, you know, like I, I got clean and I got into a treatment center and I got all of that after I was, you know, 32 years old when I was 32 years old. So it's only been like 15 years that I've been actively, uh, non-stop advocating and just, you know. Because you got to, like, g- f- get your own life figured out first. Yeah. Yes. But as I was doing that, I was also doing that work. So wow. I was, you know, getting my life together. But 
I had sort of like a, a more clear mind and I could see things the way they were. And so it was that, but I was also seeing my friends that I was, you know, in the corner with, you know, just a few months before being attacked, being murdered, being, you know, dragged from cars, like being chased, you know. Um, and so, you know, like I was seeing it with a more clear mind. Um, but one of the things that um, sort of like really marked um, my advocacy and my activism was the murder of Juan Araujo, which happened in 2002. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar. I'm not. Yeah, Gwen um, Araujo was a young trans woman who was Latina uh, uh, in Newark, California, and she was brutally murdered by four individuals. Um, and so that obviously resonated with me. Um, it wasn't just that she was murdered, but it was the way she was murdered. Uh, and so for me, that was sort of like sparked something in me. And from there, sort of like, you know, um, it wasn't that just, it was just my strength, but it was also my rage, you know. And again, my own personal experiences, uh, the experience that I was seeing with my friends, um, and, you know, being that I had survived, all of those things um, sort of like, you know, opened my mind to know and understand that I was privileged and that I needed to do something about it, that it was time for me to uh, sort of like, you know, what they say, like, pay pay it forward. Right? Yeah, you have been through so much. I think that we're very lucky that you are open about it and able to, like, to use your own story to, like, help others. I, um, you know, there's a movie about me, so in, it's called Transvisible, right? Like, yeah. there's no, there's no shame about, you know, who I am. Um, I own what I've done, and I have, um, you know, pay my dues, right? Like, I was, you know incarcerated you know but I also understand now I'm able to see how social factors influence for us to be where we are and to do the things that we have to do right and I think that's like a great point that I like want to get across to other people is that um, trans people are not at risk of homelessness or losing their jobs or of suicidal thoughts and behaviors because of biological factors it's the environment and like the stigmas and the stress and it's like the onus is on us, you know, like creating that environment. Totally. And, you know, um, I think, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, um, that gender is a social construct, right? Um, and so we have, you know, for centuries have sort of like formed this notion of, you know, it's either or, right? But historically, there has been people who are, you know, gender nonconforming. It's just that, you know, our society and the violence, the institution of violence that we have experienced, uh, particularly people of color, right, um, is what has translated for us to be criminalized simply for being who we are. Right. You know, I have, I have a friend who is intelligent and not a bigot, and they just thought that RuPaul was transgender. So I don't know where people learn about this if they don't know someone who's trans or don't hear about it in schools, which isn't rare. I don't know where we learn about it. Well, I mean, right now, and you know, in the era that we are right now, right? This is an um, there's an amazing place that is called YouTube. Right? <laughs> right? I have heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, like 
you could find out and learn about anything in YouTube. You know, that's um, a great actionable thing that people can do. Totally, because it's not people who are like aggressively anti-trans; they just simply don't know. Right, and there's different ways. Um, you know, and again, you know, unfortunately, like the media has contributed a lot for us to be where we are in terms of like both in the past for people attack us right simply for who we are um but also you know to bring visibility to our community and i think it's also important for us to highlight that with visibility there's also the criminality has increased against us and we can see that through um you know the different legislation that is passing against us that you know how we constantly get profile um how we, you know, um, we constantly get, you know, discriminated, you know, when we're simply trying to get a job. Um, so, like, all of those things obviously contribute for us to be where we are within our society. Yeah. yeah California has some of the most trans-inclusive laws in the country. Uh, do you, On the whole, do you feel safe living in L.A.? You know, it's, um, it's really unpredictable, you know, because... The life of a trans woman of color um, really is, you know, we're living day by day, right? Um, so when you're at your home, if you have a home, then you could say that you're safe. But when we walk out of our homes, oftentimes we are someone who have a target on us, right? And I mean, even though I am privileged and I am empowered, you know, last year I was a victim of a hate crime, you know, and so it's... We are all um, exposed yeah. to the violence. You know, if you're not sort of like the standard, you know, uh, that people think what is supposed to be beautiful or or a woman, for instance, or even a man, if you're not masculine enough, right, like you could be attacked. If you're um, not feminine enough, you could be attacked. But one of the reasons is because for us as trans women, I think... Uh, and this is obviously my own analogy, right? Um, is that because we have left the privilege of manhood, that, you know, that is, speaks to the masculinity of other men. And so, therefore, we get prone to be attacked. And I don't know if that makes sense to you. Oh, no, it, it does make sense. I was just processing it. That's fascinating. Because often, I mean, I think, too, about how um, some of the most prominent trans people today are trans women of color the janet mox and laverne coxes and um i think that's such an interesting dichotomy since they're also the most marginalized group mm-hmm. yeah but also i think it's important that we also acknowledge that you know not all of us and are not all of our experiences are not captured right like unfortunately you know uh, some of us do have the privilege to be in the um, eye of the media you know yeah. or that we get uh, recognize you know more than others but unfortunately that lived experiences that you know people or the common people how I would want to say um, are not highlighted as they should well I, I, I and I just completely agree and I have to think that Janet Mock and Laverne Cox are such like classically gorgeous women I think that almost the culture needed um, like it's a pretty privilege they needed someone pretty to say, like, oh, okay, we can accept these people for them to make it okay for other people. I mean, 
I think it's the way the media works. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, the images that you portrayed is that sort of, like, the images that, you know, are going to be popular, are going to be sold, right? Um, but, I mean, I, I don't want to in any way minimize, you know, the amazing work that um, Laverne Cox and, and Jan and Mark have been oh, doing. Oh, absolutely. You know, because I love them and they're my dear friends. Um and you know, and they have definitely brought visibility to our community um, in a way that has never been done before, right? Um, and so, I think that's amazing. But again, at the same time, it's also important that we understand that violence has also increased with that. Yeah. In, in your advocacy over the last fifteen years ish, <laughs> yeah. um, is there like one or two things you're most proud of? Oh my goodness! Uh, I I can definitely name one or two, but I I'm, I don't want to just single uh, specific moments um, because there have been so many, so many things that have, you know, had that have in many different ways fed my soul. Yeah. Um. You know, but. Um, well, tell me one, and we'll frame it as a moment you're proud of, not the most proud of. Just a moment. A moment. Um, a most, I guess, recent um, accomplishment, accomplishment that I have gotten is that, um, well, there have been several since then, but in last June and June of this year, I had the opportunity to share um, stage with Vice President Biden. Uh, at a national conference and this was a it was called the State of Women Conference uh, which is a national conference that was put by the White House um, and to be invited to be one of the keynote speakers uh, at a women's conference to be acknowledged as a woman not only that but also sharing stage with the vice president it's it's huge right Um, as someone who has you know, and I also have been invited to the White House twice. But as someone who has come from, and this is one of my talks that I'm going to do after, um, um, from the big house to the White House. What's the first word? The what house? From the big house oh. to the White House, right? Yeah. So, like, someone who has been on the streets has gone to prison, and you know, been a drug addict has been able to like overcome those things and then being acknowledged and, and you know being invited to the White House is huge yeah and as an immigrant too totally all of that yeah trans immigrant all of those things all those intersections are me that's amazing that also that they're acknowledging immigrants as uh, I mean obviously our country is built on immigrants <laughs> I'm like the children of them but uh, to say like yes you're a part of our culture today not just like your kids and the people we help but like r- right now mm-hmm. what did you talk about at the White House in your speech um, I talked about and it's really um, I mean I don't want to say it's funny but it was in some ways timely um, because it was the Monday after the Orlando incident so um wow yeah uh so for me it was uh a moment to sort of like grieve but grieving in a moment of empowerment and so um i you know started my speech by asking people to instead of giving a moment of silence to give a moment of power and to send you know love to orlando and you know 
so we just scream and clap and it was like very powerful um but it was also framing that issue of you know institutional violence and really um calling out the issue of our government acknowledging trans people the existence of trans people and what we need to do uh to change that um so it was framed around that really wow that that's powerful I I wanna I don't know if they I I, I know that they taped it but I I need to ask to see if they can I can you know <laughs> but I got like so many compliments uh, afterwards wow um, yeah that you know that my speech really moved people wow you, you're saying moment of power are are you made me think are you a spiritual person I am I am um, you know I. I get my spirituality or the fulfillment of my soul in different ways. Um, but um, twice a year, I take time off. Um, so, and I seclude myself and I write and I think and I plan, you know. Where, where do you go? Do you leave town or you, in your home? I, uh, I've i done both. I've done both. Uh, but I, um, for the last couple of years, I've been sort of like learning to... Um, to go out of state uh, or somewhere, you know, where I can seclude myself. Uh, and not necessarily out of state, but somewhere uh, where I can be alone. Um, like this past July, I was in um, Oregon. I went to Oregon to some hot springs and, you know, um, up in the mountains. And it was really great. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Those, that you do that twice a year? You take these... Time yes. off. Mm-hmm. What What is your self care like though on like a more like daily basis? Um. Well, I get massages every two weeks. Oh, Bambi, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes, I mean that's what I need to do for me to take care of myself. Um, I um, that's I think for the most part what I do. I obviously you know every night I do like a and a self inventory. Um, you know, so I. I do that. Um, I also, you know, ask my higher power to guide me through the day. So when I wake up in the morning, I the first thing that I do, I drink water. And, um, you know, I ask my higher power to guide me and to, you know, to guide my words and to guide my actions and to guide whatever I'm going to do and to put the people that needs to be put in front of me um, to, if I need to help, to help and Whatever it is, right? Um, so that's sort of like the rigorous things that I do every day that I don't skip. Wow. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you for this. Of course. No, thank you. Absolutely. If people wanted to find out more about you, um, should we send them to your website, social media? What do you prefer? Um, I mean, all of the above. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I'm very privileged that I do have a website. Um, so it's bambisalcedo.com um, or, you know, I'm in social media also people can find me on Facebook uh, Twitter Instagram all of those Snapchat you know all they above awesome and um, I'm at Twitter at JeffMasters1 and you can find all of our previous interviews on iTunes and YouTube and of course we have to ask you to leave a comment please do that and tell all of your friends we'll see you next week goodbye from executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. 
to watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.